So you now can become a supporter of You Are Resilient Podcast as well. You can support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Just go to anchor.fm slash resilient slash support. So what does supporting this podcast look like? Well, with your contributions, you support my efforts to make this show better. So just go to anchor.fm slash resilient slash support. That's anchor.fm slash resilient slash support. Thanks for listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the show. Hi there, it's your host, Jaquela, and welcome to You Are Resilient Podcast, the place where we share our personal stories of resilience. Here we understand resilience is not some magical quality, but that it takes real mental work to transcend hardship. And even after our misfortunes, we're able to change course and move toward achieving our goals. So join me as we have meaningful conversations about everything from wellness to relationships and spirituality. Are you with me? Okay, let's get started. So can you go ahead and talk to us about how you got into public speaking and speaking up for mental health? Yeah, definitely. Um, so for the longest time my entire life, I was dealing a lot with mental health struggles, and I never thought that mental health could affect me. I always thought that it was someone else's problem growing up in the black community, not talking about mental health and not feeling like it was something I could ever really address because I didn't want to be labeled as, as weak or as judged, and I just had this desire to be perfect. I couldn't be anything but that. And so mm-hmm. for the, the longest time, I just had this fear of talking about my struggles. And after dealing with a, a lot of mental health issues, being a, a college athlete and struggling a lot with anxiety and suicidal thoughts and eating disorder behaviors and a toxic and emotionally abusive relationship, after dealing with all those things and really hitting rock bottom, I decided that I needed to figure out what else I could do in my life because I didn't know what I deserved, but I felt like I deserved more than what I was going through. And so I had a conversation with a friend who seemed like she had it all together, but she was in therapy and it was useful for her. And in that moment, I realized that therapy could be useful for me. And once I started therapy, which was really hard for me because I had a lot of stigma around mental illness, but once I started, I recognized the strength in speaking up. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to, from there, to, to see that I wanted to start trying my story more on a on a widespread scale, and I was invited to speak at my college that I went to in University of New Haven just about mental health and suicide prevention. We unfortunately had lost one of our coaches to suicide, and when they asked me to come, I didn't really feel equipped to do that. I didn't feel like I was the right person to do that, especially because I hadn't talked about it for so long, but that moment and being in therapy really allowed me to see that. I could talk about this and I could make a difference in people's lives talking about mental health. And so then I started my blog, Beautifully Simply You, and really started talking about my struggle with my mental health and trying to help other people to write their stories and know that they aren't alone. And then I started to speak to more and more schools and it's kind of taken off from there to just really continue to spread my story and reduce that stigma on mental illness. Wow. Okay, so that's a lot <laughs> to pack. So. Going back, you said something about, you know, you in your journey with your mental health, you struggled. Um, you felt the need to be perfect, you mentioned, and you felt like you didn't fit in. Can you talk more about that and where that came from? Yes, definitely. So growing up, I always felt like I needed to be perfect. 
I think a lot of that stems from just getting money for having good grades. I think a lot of times I equated that to I needed to get A's and B's to be what society, what my parents thought was perfect. And, and growing up, I think I really had that main idea. But later on in my life, recognizing that they weren't doing it for me to create that idea in my mind. It was something that I created myself after seeing the world in, in the way I was seeing it. And just really starting to think that if, if I was doing anything but being perfect and what my own view of perfection or the society's view of perfection, that I would be a failure. And so I began to chase that in everything I was doing. And if I ever felt short, that I was falling short of perfection, then I would become incredibly frustrated with myself. And that led to a lot of the anxiety and depression and, and a lot of the other mental health issues that I had that, that continued on. So I definitely think it started really early on in my childhood with feeling like I needed to live up to expectations and that pressure and stress, especially being an athlete as well. Um, early on in my life, I was a track athlete my entire life. I think that there was just so much pressure to be this perfect person and, and look like I have it all together. And so that's what I strive to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you mentioning um, another factor into that was that you grew up in a very white predominant neighborhood and you saw that mm-hmm. also affected that. Could you talk more about that as well? Yes, definitely. So um, I grew up in an entirely white neighborhood. I was the only, we were the only black family on the street that I lived on. And so I grew up having all white friends and not really ever knowing where I fit in. And then when I got to middle school, all of my black peers started to make fun of me endlessly telling me that I wasn't black enough. And it was a really confusing time for me being so young and not knowing where I really fit in this world and feeling like I needed to change myself to be more like my white friends or change myself to be more like my black peers. And I think that that also led a lot to my desire to be perfect and not always feeling like I was falling short because I felt like to be perfect, I had to meet everyone else's expectation. And so I never really felt like I had an identity of who I was. And mm-hmm. I think that led me to str- str- struggle and suffer so much as I m- moved on of who am I and, and struggling with never feeling like I was good enough or fit in. Mm-hmm. So kind of to unpack that, um, as you talk about people who, you know, had these perceptions of you and you felt like you had to wear this mask to keep up this persona what inner work did you do throughout your life to remove that mask yeah the inner work didn't start until a couple of years ago I struggled a long time with having this mask over me when I went to college is when I started to have more friends that looked like me and that's when I started to really recognize a lot of the stigma around mental illness in the black community but Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I really started to work on the, the mask until I went through everything that I went through and then started to feel really sick and tired of of how I was feeling and started therapy. And that helped me a lot to be more authentic with myself, to learn to love myself. And another huge thing for me was starting affirmations because because I struggled so much with my identity because I felt like I had no sense of of worth about myself. I, I didn't like myself at all. And so it's hard for me to think about things that I liked about myself or that I loved about myself. And so... I had to start doing that self-reflection about what other people had said to me for a year that they loved about me and starting to write those things down and say that out to myself in the mirror. And I can remember one morning saying to myself that, like, Ivy, I love you and you're beautiful. And I just became, like, super nauseous when I said that to myself because I didn't believe it, but knowing I needed to be intentional about doing that work. And so Mm -hmm. I would say those things to myself over and over and write down things that other people loved about me and, and just trying to do the work to begin to believe them. And that allowed me to take down that mask to see that I was a great person, that I could love myself with all my flaws and 
whatever mistakes and regret I had from the past and love myself despite my anxiety. So uh, that was really beneficial for me uh, mm-hmm. after after I struggled. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is powerful to to get to that point and, and really have that full self-love for yourself. So kind of going back, when you mentioned, um, you know, you were also in some abusive and toxic relationships, having experienced that abuse, um, can you share with us, like, what were the, what were those red flags? What was the feelings that you had that you realized, like, okay, I'm not safe in this relationship? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it took me a long time to realize that I stayed in a relationship three years too long. And I think because I had no sense of self-worth, I thought that what I deserved in this relationship was to be talked down to and to be reminded of the worthlessness that I felt, to be made small and to be told to shut up and be called all different names. And it was very, very emotionally abusive and, and manipulative to, and almost so manipulative in the fact that it's trying to turn me against my family who's been there for me my entire life and, and trying to just essentially that he was better than anybody else to be in my life. And, you know, this the typical manipulator's personality that puts you down and, and makes you feel like if, if it's anything but that person, that is, you're never going to have anything good enough and that without them, you're worthless. Um, and so I began to believe all that and I truly depended on that person to give me external validation, which I couldn't get from that person because they weren't giving it to me. So I continued to feel even worse about myself. Um, and one of the worst moments was when I started to struggle with suicidal thoughts. The, the whole time I hadn't been talking about my struggle. And in that moment, I, I decided to open up to him because I felt like it was a really bad place for me to be in. And I, and I wanted to talk to somebody. And he was the person I thought I could open up to. And was immediately hit with the stigma that I had believed my entire life about mental illness, that how I was feeling was stupid and selfish and that therapy wasn't going to be useful for me. So it reminded me that speaking up isn't the right thing to do. So, and that's how, how I had felt, which I later realized was not the right mentality to have. But mm-hmm. it, it was a, a space for me when I recognized that this relationship was very, very toxic for me. But because I was so comfortable in that relationship and because I was manipulated to think that it was the right thing for me, I, I began to embrace being talked down to and, and made it feel small that it just became kind of part of who I was until eventually I found the strength within me that I always had within me but was just too afraid to, you know, um, uh, act on and actually walk away. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like for you? How did you set that boundary and tell that person, like, you know, I, I don't want to take this any longer. This is not love. This is not the relationship that I want. What, what sh- How did you get to that point to, to walk away from that? Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. I, I feel like it took me a good year of going back and forth in my mind telling myself that I wanted to walk away, but um, I couldn't, and hoping that there would be some, like, external factor that would make that happen. Um, like, I was trying to apply to jobs in, in D.C., and I was hoping that if I got a job in D.C., that would mean that I I wasn't supposed to be in this relationship, that I, then that would be, like, my way to, to get away, and that mm-hmm. never actually ended up happening. And after having a couple of series of some really, really awful fights that just continually brought me to my knees of crying for hours and never feeling comforted, never feeling like I was good enough or doing anything right in the relationship and continually, you know, getting into arguments and then it always being my fault, even if it was something that might have came from his side. Or And so after just weeks of that and this past year of feeling like wishing for something else to happen that would change that outcome I was having, um, I we had a extremely huge fight and I 
after talking about it and saying, well, if it's, he remember he said to me, if we're going to make this work, then X, Y, and Z. And I don't even know what came over me, but I was so I was thankful in that moment that I was able to say to my say out loud that um, I was shocked that it came over me that I was saying, well, I don't I don't want this to work. And mm-hmm. he just said, okay. And then that was kind of the end of it. And and the sad thing about it was that he was in Connecticut and I was in Boston, so I still had to have that two-hour drive home the next day, so I had to spend the night there. So it was, like, all a very awkward, but it was, I was proud of myself that even though I had to spend the night there, I still stuck to my decision that I didn't want mm-hmm. to be in this relationship anymore, and no matter what you tell me in the next, you know, 12 hours, I'm still going to leave. That's awesome. I commend you for having the strength to do that, and I know it's hard. It's hard to be in that type of a situation, but it took a lot of strength out of you to, to get to that point, so Yes. Again, I commend you for that. So Definitely. kind of going mm-hmm. going into, um, you mentioned when you were in college, you struggled a lot with um, body image. And you said that you, you know, went through a period of an eating disorder. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was an athlete my entire life. I ran track from age 8 to 22. And I think just being in college from day one, we were put on, a diet and it was celebrated whenever you lost a pound or we had this machine that it would tell your body fat percentage mm-hmm. and every single day we'd have to check it and it became an addiction and I can remember not being able to walk past the scale in the weight room in college because I was I just literally needed to know how much I weighed because every day at practice my coach and our trainers would be saying we need to get you down to 134 we have to get you down to that weight we have to get you down and it became like an expectation and so I remember some days I would walk past the scale saying Ivy don't weigh yourself you were just here this morning you know what you weigh like you, you maybe you weigh it out more but it's okay and I would put myself down in a locker room and come right back to the scale and be taking everything off because I want to make sure that I'm at the most accurate weight and then just you know crying if I'm just that one ounce heavier than I was earlier in the day because again I felt like I had failed that idea of perfection and so I had a lot of goals for myself athletically and because my mental health wasn't being nurtured and I was so negative with myself, I held myself back from accomplishing the goals. And because I felt like I had no control of the situation, not realizing it was my mental health I needed to nurture, I started to figure out how I could have control in my life. So I would wake up early and go for long distance runs and do workout videos. And then I would have my track practice already that was super vigorous and really hard and and would, I would use a lot of energy there, and I was restricting what I was eating. And I remember I created this body image for myself that I thought was amazing and perfect by society standards, but I was extremely weak and exhausted, but it was amazing to look in the mirror and to see these chiseled abs and all of my muscles and have people tell me how great I looked. And it was just feeding this addiction that I had created for myself. And it took me a while to recognize again I wasn't talking about these things and my coaches actually didn't even recognize that I was struggling or that I was getting to a point when I was too skinny and I think it's just because it's so it's it's so important as an athlete to be a certain body body image so they were celebrating that for me not saying oh like are you okay are you struggling with anything and not realizing it was everything was coming into this cycle together Mm -hmm. and when I started to gain weight actually it was because I started a food Instagram, and this became a new sort of addiction because I was comparing myself to not uh, not only other fitness people, but people who were 
creating all these like amazing food creations. And so I would add more food or, or do different things to try to make my food look more aesthetically pleasing so I'd get more Instagram likes because then I would prove to myself that I was perfect. Mm-hmm. And once I once I was doing that, I started to overeat, so compensating for the fact that I was struggling mentally. And then just organically, I started to gain weight back. And then I was frustrated with myself that I wasn't able to run the time I wanted to in this perfect body I created or in the new body I created. It was just this vicious cycle that let me for years to struggle with body image issues, just checking in the mirror, like, are my abs still there? And it's like, it's still hard for me and I, I still catch myself doing it. And it's unfortunate that the athletic culture that really promotes you to look a certain way can mm-hmm. create so many lasting body image issues that a lot of women struggle with. Um, but I think especially like when you're an athlete, it's just so expected to, and it's so it's talked about all the time to get down to a certain body weight that you feel like if you're not doing that, you're not, you're falling short. Wow. Yeah. So how did you, when did you acknowledge to yourself that you had an eating disorder? Had that word even come up? Like, how did you know that this is what this was? Yeah. So I was um, a psychology major. And when I went to grad school in public health and just learning about obesity and eating disorders, and Mm -hmm. I just started, I mean, I guess it was a self-diagnosis. And I think maybe I didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, but I had definitely had eating disorder behavior and Mm -hmm. which which led to me struggling with so many body image issues and feeling insecure about my body. And I think it was after learning about different eating disorders throughout school that I was like, I, I definitely have some of these symptoms, but mm-hmm. I can't tell anybody about it. And so once I did started talking about it and I, I remember I approached my coach and I said, I, I think I was definitely struggling with some sort of eating disorder when I was in college. And I thought you guys definitely like encouraged it in a sense that we were, all, you know, celebrating any pound that was lost, texting each other in group text, saying, like, yes, it's amazing, you're down to 134. And, like, oh, now let's get you, get you down to 130 or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. and so I, I think I acknowledged it later on. I, I, I wish I had acknowledged it earlier and, and been able to get that help and recognize that it was my mental health was the main problem, feeding all of it. Mm-hmm. And so how did you shift your mindset from, you know, having that negative body image before to the positive body image of yourself now. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it for me is because I enjoy exercising so much because I was an athlete my entire life and it, it just helps me a lot with my mental health to just unwind and de-stress. For me, I have to make sure I'm doing it in a healthy way because mm-hmm. I spent so much time over-exercising and pushing myself to a limit because I needed to have this perfect body. So for me now, it's important for me within my affirmations to write down that I love my body, even if those days I'm really hating my body image and I don't think that I look good at all. And it's just reminding myself to write down those positive statements, look at my body and say loving things to it and Mm -hmm. remember what my body does for me, that because I have this healthy body, I am able to run, I'm able to walk, I'm able to do different things and, you know, and I also just think about experiences that I want to be able to have experiences with my friends and family and enjoy delicious food rather than restricting what I'm, what I'm eating because mm-hmm. I need to look a certain way. Um, and so with the exercise piece, it's important for me to 
go to the gym when I feel like going to the gym for my mental health and not doing it to push myself to look a certain way. So there's days when I will feel have a bad body image and I'll say, well, I need to go to the gym today and eat less. But instead, I will not go to the gym and I will eat a regular meal because it's pushing myself to remember that it's not, you know, everything doesn't revolve around working out and eating healthy. It's important, but it doesn't need to be my main thing. So it's a lot of times challenging myself to just take that step back and saying, today, I'm not going to go to the gym because I'm not going for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good that you've overcome that. Um, so moving on to, you know, you said you utilize therapy as well to kind of overcome, you know, the um, body images and, you know, and having mm-hmm. to just overcome that mental health uh, that you were going through, excuse me, overcoming the mental health struggles you were going through. Can you talk to us more about what that experience was like when you first um, decided to utilize therapy and what are some things that you learned in therapy that you utilize still today? Definitely. Um Therapy was incredibly scary for me. I didn't think that it was going to be useful, really, but my friend had found had found use in it, and I thought maybe it could be useful for me, but I mm-hmm. wasn't entirely convinced. And so when I went and I spoke with my therapist, I, I'm fortunate that I had a good experience with her from the beginning that we connected. I know um, a lot of people do have frustrations with finding a therapist, and it can be a really tough time. So I was fortunate that I was able to have that connection with my therapist. But the first day, we sat down and she just asked me about what it was like growing up for me, what my family was like. Um, and it was very, like, baseline. And I didn't really feel like I walked away with with anything because her, you know, it was hard to kind of come to a conclusion because I have two very loving parents who have always been supportive. And so why was I so self-critical with myself when they've always been supportive and had me do my best? And so I kind of walked away thinking like, well, I didn't really get anything from this session. Mm-hmm. But I think we also always have to remember that the first day doing, trying anything, well, maybe not anything, but a lot of things, you don't always get exactly what you're wanting out of it. But I was in such a dark space that I was really willing to try anything. And so I went back again the next week and I went back again the next week and just continue to be open with her about what I was struggling with and to just work through those struggles. And for me, the biggest thing was just to talk to somebody. I know a lot of us have been in situations where you you open up to a friend and they say to you, oh, that sounds horrible, but let me tell you about all of my problems. And then mm-hmm. it becomes about them. And so for therapy was really useful for me because it was just an hour for me to literally just talk about me. And a lot of times my therapist wouldn't even say, anything. She might have said a couple of words and just, or maybe like a "Mm mm-hmm or a nod, but it was for me so important for me to just talk and make some connections in my own mind of the struggles that I had gone through, why I went through them, and Mm -hmm. what I was going to, she would help me figure out how we were going to move forward through them. So a lot of times it it was important for me to, to just find that strength in talking and I always say, like, I could have talked to a wall and, and done the same thing, but would I have done that and been intentional about doing that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So it's, that was important for me to go to therapy to talk, but then also to get those tools and, and tips from her on how to work through my anxiety. And that was a lot of what I spoke with her was taking those risks, putting myself in situations where I'd have to challenge the social anxiety that I had or writing down those positive affirmations. She taught me a lot about power poses and how to be, you know, big with your body and not small because it makes you feel more confident. 
and just different things like that allowing me to just really see that I was capable of, of trying different things that could work for me and breathing and, and working through it. And I think it was just really important for me to just be able to have those conversations and know that I had somebody that was going to be non-judgmental on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So on the flip side of that, you taking all in that information and running the tools for yourself, you know, how have you utilized that now with the workshops that you do? Can you talk to us more about you speaking, with your speaking engagements and talking to athletes? What are some things that you're working with the athletes? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I definitely try to do power poses before my speeches because it definitely <laughs> does make you feel stronger and, you know, more confident in yourself. And I think it's important for me whenever I do a speech or a self-love workshop is, you know, trying to battle those negative thoughts that always come into our mind just because we're all human. We're all going to think those negative thoughts at some point or another. And so they do still come up for me telling myself that I'm not even worthy to, to have this, to do this speech or to host this workshop. But then I have to come back to the facts of why, why am I not worthy to, to host this workshop? And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's usually never any facts that will actually prove to me that I'm not worthy of hosting the workshop. Mm-hmm. And it's just like even the smallest thing of I have 11 people that signed up and I really just thought I was going to my parents and my boyfriend that came to this event. Like that shows to me that I'm worthy because people read the description and they felt that I was a good person to host this workshop. And so what I, what I really enjoy is, is really showing people the importance of self-love because for me for so long not knowing who I was and struggling so much with not having any self-worth and with the relationship I was in, it was important for me to figure out what self-love was for me. And it was so beautiful for me to finally feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to share that with everybody and just the power of affirmations and the power of positivity and really working to rewire your brain and knowing that it's going to be a lifelong process, but to be patient with yourself. And so I talk a lot about that in my speeches and in the workshops and just really to be patient with ourselves and knowing that we all have mental health and that helps us to feel a little bit less alone. And I talk a lot about my personal story and how I was so afraid to speak up, but that, I, you know, society really encouraged me and it encourages all of us to not talk about our struggles because it shows weakness. But how me telling my story, I found the strength within me that I always had and really wanting to share that with other people and to know that there are so many people out there that want to hear your story and want to give you the help that you need and know that you are never, ever alone in this process. So it's really important for me to not only share my story, but to help other people right there. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So going back to what she said about how you had to overcome your own personal stigma around mental health, what would you say to someone right now who's afraid to speak out about their own mental illness? Definitely. I would say to them that when you look around, and this is how I like to think about mental illness, when you look around, you can see that everyone around you has had a bad day. Everyone struggled with something. And a lot of times we'll think that our stories aren't that big of a deal. We'll look at other people's story and say, well, they've been through all this trauma and my situation isn't that big of a deal. And I think that everyone's story is valid. And if you perceive your story to have hurt you or be sad or or even happy and you want to tell somebody, like, I think it's really important that everyone has that platform. Everyone has that space to tell their story, to know that they can speak to somebody, whether it's a therapist or a parent, family member, friend, to find that person or a, a hotline, find that person that will be able to give them that comfort and to provide them with the help they need. And so I think it's really important that even though there's a stigma around mental illness, that we know that we can fight the stigma by talking about our struggles. 
because when you tell your story, even if you're doing it for your own self-care, you're allowing other people to know that they can talk about their story too. And so mm-hmm. it's really important to know that that's, that stigma exists in this world, but there's so many organizations out there right now that are working to break down that, that stigma by letting other people know that there's so many other people out there that struggle. And so it's so important to tell your story and to get that stress off your chest before a storm erupts inside of you and you haven't gotten any help and you're really struggling. So it's really important to just talk about whatever you're struggling with, no matter how big or how small it seems. Most definitely. You said that very well, and I'm going to end that there. <laughs> so where, where, can our, where can our audience, if they want to connect with you, how can they find you? So if the audience wants to connect with me, I would love to talk further. And uh, I have a blog, Beautifully Simply You, and so my website is beautifullysimplyyou.com. And so I post blog posts on there that share a lot of hope and positivity, and I talk more about my story as well and just whatever struggle I'm dealing with at that moment. I post blogs on there every Monday, and then I have social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram. My handle is Beautifully Simply You, and Twitter is uh, Butte Simp You because I couldn't have all those characters on Twitter. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, totally. I would love for people to connect with me and um, to chat further about mental health and, and see how we can connect. I, I would totally love to do that. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Ivy, for taking the time to share your personal story of overcoming your mental health, but also the work that you're doing out in the community and helping people, empowering them to share their stories. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, this is really important to continue talking about mental health. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. You too.